The passage today comes to us to the, from the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew, chapter 7. It's also found in an insert in your bulletin. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we're reading a passage that has the word destruction in it, and so we ought to tread carefully. And yet, Lord, just as many times as it says destruction, we see that it says life. And that is what we are here for. That is what we are exulting and rejoicing in, the life, the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. So open our eyes and our ears and our spirits to your word that we might rejoice in Jesus Christ and the new life that he has bought us. Be with me as I seek to preach faithfully and powerfully and clearly. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage has the word road in it a couple times. And let me put this question to you. Would it make sense to be on a road if you didn't know where you were going? You know, as certain as the sun rises in the east, yeah, you'd get somewhere pretty lost. You know, you, it would be a meaningless drive. And sometimes, I don't, I'm not talking about the uh, kind of drive where you're just enjoying the road. I, I can appreciate that. I, I love driving. But if you're driving around purple, purple, purposelessly, where are you going to end up? And, you know, GPS is a wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, we had a brother in our congregation before I got here, Ben Lee, and he said that GPS saved his marriage because he would get lost all the time and his wife would hate him for it. And, uh, but have you ever gotten completely twisted around by your GPS where you wound up even more lost because of it? And you know, one reason may be that GPSs actually need to be updated. You know, you'd, you purchase this thinking that, oh, you'll never get lost again, but those maps expire. New roads happen, new traffic patterns. Streets that used to be two-way now are one-way. You follow that thing, and what happens? You're going the wrong way down a one-way street. It's actually why there are a lot of big tractor-trailer accidents on the parkways because they're listening to their GPSs instead of just knowing these roads inside and out like the truckers of old or every stop on I-80 they knew. Listening to the GPS. The GPS doesn't know it's a truck that it's in. It doesn't know to tell it to stay off a parkway and then a truck slams into an overpass. So you don't need to just know your destination, but you also need to be familiar with the road you're on. 
You know, what if you're just listening to a GPS and just blindly listening to it and uh, maybe there's a bridge out? So know the road you're on and know where you're going. That's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, we've come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is wrapping things up, and he's ending it with these warnings. And the first of these warnings is that there are only two ways to live. In fact, the entire Sermon on the Mount has been entirely that message. There's the way of the world, the way you thought that actually might satisfy God, and there's God's way. And we've seen some amazing things that Jesus said about God's way. Do not murder has turned into, don't even be, just hate. Don't have murderous anger toward a brother or a sister. And adultery isn't having an extramarital affair now. It's looking lustfully at another person. Jesus has raised the stakes on everything and says it's that way or this way. And so he's wrapping up with this warning, but it's a warning that's foreshadowing a wonderful hope. And so the three points of our message today are the wooing of the world's wide road, the necessity of the Savior's narrow road, and the call to join in Jesus' mission of seeking and saving the lost. So the wooing of the world's wide road. Now, this, the concept of road, of path, of way, is very familiar to us in Scripture. In fact, the Old Testament has a lot of times mentioned that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's Proverbs 14, 12. Psalm 1 talks about being in the way of sinners and then seed of mockers. And so there's that that way, that path again. It talks about God raising up highways, roads, straight and safe roads so that people can come to Him and His city. And Joshua, at the end of his earthly ministry, Joshua who took over for Moses in leading the Israelites, Joshua at the end of his life asks the Israelites, who are you going to follow? But as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. Again, the language of way, of path. And Jesus Christ says that there is a wide road, a broad road that leads to destruction. You know, why, why is it wide? Why is it broad? What, is, what do wide, broad roads do? They're easy. They're very easy to be on. Back in Jesus' day, everyone walked everywhere. And so you had wide roads leading into cities and leading, leading out of cities to accommodate the massive foot traffic. The Romans did the whole world a favor. Every road leads to Rome. That was a reality back then. The empire cast out and they made roads, these wide ones so that people could travel. And they are easy. And you've got a lot of company when you're on those roads. 
But Jesus is saying that the way of the world is an easy, wide road. It leads to destruction. It leads to death. And from the Sermon on the Mount, we see that there are two types, two categories of people on that wide road. Those who are indifferent to God and those who are presumptuous over God. And those who are indifferent to God and those who are presumptuous over God. The first, those who are indifferent, they are the ones that Romans chapter 1 describes as suppressing the truth of the knowledge of God. And they're worshiping idols. They're worshiping and going after all other things. They're indifferent to God, the one only and true God, and they seek after other gods. Whether pantheistic gods or monotheistic gods, whether just little household spirits, like you have in belief in a lot of Asia, or you have just those old Greek-Roman pantheons back here, or even today, of Buddhism and Hinduism, Islam. You don't even need formal other religions to be indifferent to God. You can just choose to reject God, any concept of God in atheism. And so I'm certainly indifferent to God because I don't believe He exists. Or you can be indifferent to Him just simply by saying, I'll live my life the way I want to live my life. I will pursue whatever desire that is most important to me whether it's my financial desires, whether it's my sexual desires, whether it's my, even my family desires of being married, of having and raising healthy and successful children. This is where many people hang their hopes. In fact, many of us Before we became Christian, this is where we hung our hopes. And sometimes I'm sure that we, certainly I do, still struggle with remembering that that's not where my hope lies. Those who are indifferent to God. But then there are those who are presumptuous over God. Those who think that by their actions, by their goodness, their righteous, and their religion, that that is what will get them into heaven. And so these people actually will acknowledge there's a road, there's a narrow road, and believe that they are on the narrow road because of what they themselves are doing. To say that that great day when they're knocking on the door of heaven, God is so pleased with what they've done that he has to let them in. He is obligated to let them in. And people who think this way might manifest it very subtly, even by saying, well, you know, if, if you ask the question, how do you know you're going to heaven? They would say, well, I live a pretty good life. I'm a lot more good than bad. I give a lot to poor people. I help others a lot. But we know that there, are no, there is no amount of doing that could erase the blot of sin on our souls. And so those who think that they have won over on God are also on that broad road to destruction. 
and it is a wide, vast road that encompasses so many. Because, you know, I was working with a group of brothers this week on John, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to what the Old Testament standards are. Do not let this book of the law, the Bible, depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Then you will get to come into the promised land. Everything written in it. Who can stand? There is no one then, according to this. There is not one person ever that has ever been even pointing in the right direction of the narrow road to life. And all of humanity falls into this same category, whether indifferent or presumptuous, of being all those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all those who have earned for themselves the wages of death. But we see now the necessity of the Savior's narrow road. Because I lied just a second ago, didn't I? There is one. There is one who has been and walked on this earth. One who has breathed our air. And he is Jesus Christ. And he has perfectly obeyed everything in God's law. He is the one who deserves, the only one who deserves life. And fellowship eternal with God the Father. In fact, that's where he was to begin with. And even on earth, even enduring the life that we had to live, he still came out deserving that fellowship, that life. He is that one on the narrow road to life. He deserves it. But this is where it gets wonderful for us. Because if Jesus decided that he would come and live his life and then head back up to heaven without having made contact with us, without having done anything with us, then we're still dead in our transgressions. We are left in misery on the wide road to destruction. But that's not what our Savior did, is it? Jesus Christ, having lived the perfect life we should have lived. He took a very, very different turn than we all expected him to take. In John chapter 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so right there, there are a couple things that are affirmed. Jesus Christ is saying... None of these other religions in the world work. And for any of you who are offended by that, I'm so sorry, and it is not my desire to offend. And I didn't come up with it. But here's how it makes sense. If there is one God over the whole universe who made everything, He does not share glory. We cannot all have the right answer. And if there is but one true God, 
then we have royally pissed him off in our sins. But he has sent his son to be the payment for our sins. And that is where it gets good. That is what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that there is no way to the Father in in heaven. He is saying he is the way. Not all way, but the way. He has made himself the way for us. The truth that we hold on to and cling to, that we might have life and have it to the full. And so in Jesus Christ, we have this wonderful picture You know, every action hero movie that I love, and I love action hero movies, and I know lots of the youth group guys love action hero movies. I love that scene where, you know, like for instance, uh, recently, Captain America, before he got all big and captain-y, he jumps on a grenade trying to save his fellow platoon members. He jumps on a grenade expecting to take it for everyone else. He expects to die that everyone else might live. Or another one of my favorite scenes where, you know, just there's some kid or wife or someone, just someone defenseless, and there's the enemy coming, big and strong, ready to kill. And then the hero drops in from out of nowhere and says, over my dead body. Ah, you know, it gets good at that point. Over my dead body. You will get that person that I love only if I'm dead. And man, I plan to put up a fight. But Jesus Christ goes even further than that. Jesus Christ pulls a trick out of his bag that no one could have seen coming. Jesus Christ says, not Satan, hell, death, and destruction. You get my people over my dead body because, well, you know, in a hero movie, hero dies and, well, the villain could get the, get the victim, right? But Jesus Christ says to us, you get heaven. You get relationship with my Father through my resurrected body. And so even death cannot defeat our Savior. In fact, that was the means He chose to deliver us into His victory that He alone deserved. And so in Jesus Christ, we, the, we have the same answer for both the pagan who believes, who's indifferent and believes in anything else, and the presumptuous one who believes that they have something over God. Jesus Christ gives us the same answer. Cling to me and no one else. Cling to me and nothing else. Everything else will fail you from outside of you and from inside of you. So cling to me. Like that great hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And Jesus Christ says, 
I am your narrow road. I am your way to life. So join me. Come onto me. Come onto the Jesus bus. Because when you're in me, then you are on that narrow road heading to life. You need to be in union with Jesus Christ. You are not attached to him by anything that you have done. You are attached only by everything that he has done. You are attached to him by faith and by grace alone. So repentance of everything that you are, everything that you were, everything that you have done, and by faith, clinging to Jesus' record, everything that He is, everything that He has done. Now, this is curious, because Jesus Christ calls that a narrow road to life. Hard. But then elsewhere, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can the road be hard and narrow while at the same time the burden is easy and light? And once again, It is easy because Jesus Christ has done it. Everything that you had to do, Jesus Christ did. Everything that you failed, Jesus did it. And that's why it's easy to you. Because you're not carrying it anymore. He did. The load of sin, the wages of sin, that death, He carried it for you. And that's why it is easy and that's why it is light. But why is it narrow? Why is it hard? The hardest path to go on in this life is to say that I need a Savior. The hardest path is to go on to faithfully follow Jesus. Jesus says that you've got to turn away from the things of the world. You have to turn away from your old life. You have to die to yourself. And so, it is hard to faithfully follow our Savior. And sometimes it's lonely, but Jesus says, I have given you my Holy Spirit. He is with you. He will remind you of the glorious goodness that God has shown you in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will remind you that you have union with Jesus Christ. You have overcome this world. You have overcome the destiny you deserved because you are in Jesus, the one who has overcome the world. And if this is new to you, or you're hearing this and for the first time today, then I hope that you will give us the opportunity to explain that to you and to share with you what a joy it is to find our every hope in Jesus Christ. To find relief and our salvation. But to those of you who have tasted that joy and who are living in that union with Christ, 
We go on to the third point. Join in Jesus' mission of seeking and saving the lost. You see, there's the comfort of the gospel. You are saved, not by what you have done, but everything that Jesus has done. But then there is the call of the gospel that says, now join in. You see, it's absurd to say that you love Jesus, but not care about his mission. You can't say that, oh man, I'm glad I'm saved from my sins and damnation. I'm just going to move on now. No. The joy of your salvation should be what compels you to seek the salvation of others, to seek others having that same inexpressible joy that you now have. You know, John Wesley said, some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Wow, that's dramatic language. And maybe that conjures up going to some frontier missions place. And I hope for some of you it does do that. But I will say that the reality is you are living a yard from the gates of hell right now because you are living alongside those who are on that very road to destruction that we have fallen off of. You have these people all around you where you work, where you live, and where you play. And can you stand to let them go without at least having heard the good news of Jesus Christ? You know, recalls. They're in the news a lot, and then you can sign up for, like, CPSC emails so that whenever the government declares, oh, here's a product that needs to be recalled because it's not safe, you get it. What do you do when you've gotten that recall message? First, you look to see if anything on that list is something that you own. But then, you call up other people that you fear might have the same product, don't you? My father gets uh, on Korean news sometimes, like little notices, and then, oh, there's a Toyota recall. I own a Toyota. My dad calls me up, very concerned. Is your car one of these things? Have you gotten such a notice? You have to take it in to the dealership and make sure and check it out. If you and your friend have the same exact car, model year, model, all that, options, engine, transmission, and they say, there's a, there's a faulty brake line, and all of a sudden, one day, when you least expect it while you're driving, it's just going to spontaneously cut. Only when you've hit 70 miles an hour. So that now you're at a speed at which you will die if you crash into something. But that's the moment that the brakes will fail. If you get a recall notice, are you just going to get your car repaired? Or will you also out of concern and love, tell your brother, your sister, whoever has this car, man, you got to take care of this. This is news that we all need to hear. You've got to act on this. In fact, would you be pushy like my dad and like force action on someone else with that knowledge? But how much more the gospel, 
of Jesus Christ, where with recalls, most recalls, no one will ever get injured. Or a little candle that's going to just spontaneously have an electrical like puff, and you might you know, get a plastic shard or splinter or something. But people are dying all around you. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, and it's in your reflection in your bulletin. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. What is worth not sharing the gospel to preserve? You know, imagine those entering destruction at that moment had one last chance to cry out to you on the road of life. They might ask, you had that news? Why didn't you share it? What might your response be? Oh, I didn't want to offend you. And you can be certain they would say, I would have taken offendedness over this. Or, I didn't want to make you uncomfortable. Uncomfortable? I'm going to hell. We've got to be so politically correct in this world now. Like that's what I'll care about when I'm damned. I didn't want to ruin our friendship because I cared about you. You should have cared about my eternal soul. You see, how then, Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? What's the answer? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, the word of Christ that you and I have. Brothers and sisters, let us share this, and not out of guilt. I hope that what I've just said has not put guilt on your hearts. Oh, who I have not shared the gospel with. No. The reason that you are called, that Christ calls you to share his good news is because of the joy, the joy that he had. What is it? Why did he go to the cross? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy of his mission of rescuing us to himself. And he invites us into that joy. The joy of seeing and sharing salvation. And so, quickly, how is God sovereignly appointing you in your life where you work, live, and play to reach people? You know, many people have come to faith by hearing the sermons preached in this church. And so if you feel that you can't share the gospel with anyone yet, at the very least, drag your friends to church. All right, John and I, we'll do the heavy lifting at first. 
Bring them. You know, I got permission. My uh, second floor neighbors, Jess and Jared Duncan, that beautiful couple you see right there, you know, just, they moved in after us, and yes, I said beautiful. And uh, they moved in after us, and I invited them to church. Jess remembers, in the parking lot, you know, shared with them tips about living in Oyster Bay, tips about garbage day and all that, and hey, would you like to come to church? They didn't come in the first offer. In fact, I think it took a couple months. But I kept on asking, all right? And they came. And they came again. And this year, I got to baptize their son. And I told them, you know, full disclosure, because I'm an honest kind of guy, a year, year and a half later, you know, I had no ulterior motives. I was not trying to manipulate to come to my church. But then, I absolutely had ulterior motives. I wanted you to come to my church and to hear the gospel preached and for your son to be raised in the body of Christ. Do you need to be a pastor to do what I did? Absolutely not. There was no part of my seminary training or anything else that came into play there. Will you invite people to come? We've set up opportunities for you to do that. You have in your bulletins a tract. This is a tract that our pastor wrote. What do you do with this tract? First, read it. And then read it again. Read it a couple times so you know it. So that if you know this, you will know how to share the gospel. And then, and here's the important thing, give it away. Share it with someone. Share the words of life with someone else. And participate in the mission of our Savior. It'll make you appreciate your salvation even more. It has our address on our back so that you can share it and then invite them to come to our church. And then invite them again and again because it takes lots of invitations to ask someone to come. We actually do explorations of Christianity Explored that we've done several times already and we're going to continue doing the same offering, the same course to give you the, to serve you so that you can invite your friends in confidence and if they don't take this one, then you have the very natural excuse to invite them again. It's happening again. We had a great time last time. Can you come this time? And you got to learn how to pitch it. You got to make it sound good. The food is great. The discussion is really good, all right? Whatever, get them here. You know, we're doing a new evangelism series in January for Sunday school, and it's actually really providentially called Two Ways to Live. Well, where are they getting that idea from? I wonder. Two roads, two ways to live, and the entire point is teaching people to know and share the gospel. You know, so far our best turnout for Sunday school was when I was teaching Revelation. We had like 50 people come out because they all wanted to know how the world was going to end. And do zombies play a role? So they don't. But, you know, just I hope that this offering, this class, the attendance eclipses every other Sunday school class that we ever have offered because I want you to catch a fire for knowing and sharing the gospel. Because you are all here because someone shared the gospel with you.
Look for, pray for those opportunities to spiral the conversation to spiritual things. You never know what God is going to do, how God is going to use you. We want to be winners of souls in this church because we know how wonderful having a soul rescued by Jesus Christ is. You know, we actually, uh, two other things. Christmas, every Christmas, John pleads with us, have holiday open houses. Invite people over. You know, Christmas is a pretty cheery time. People let their guard down. Invite them over. Tell them you'll give them free food. Get them over so that you can share with them the joy that you have regarding Christmas. You know, true story, I'm even here. Because years ago, I heard that John Yanchko gave this, gave this uh, analogy in uh, Philadelphia about Halloween. I grew up with a very strict par- uh, very strict parents who didn't let me go trick-or-treating. Said it was the devil's holiday and no costumes. All right? And so I kind of held on to that because, you know, I mean, as an adult without kids, what do you care about Halloween? But I get to Philadelphia, and I hear that this pastor, John Yanchko, has said he loves Halloween. And he takes his kids trick-or-treating because on that day, on that single day of the year, people let you walk up to their doors and knock. And you get to know your neighbors. So take your kids trick-or-treating. doesn't matter if they don't want to go trick-or-treating. All right? They humiliate you. Humiliate them a little. And go and meet your neighbors for the sake of the gospel. I'll end with this. Jim Elliot said, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, but make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Lovingly confront everyone that God puts in your path with the truth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You've already given up everything you had to lose. You already have the full, fullest life in Jesus Christ. Don't you want to share that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Gospel means good news, and what good news it is to us, that we are not on that broad, wide road to destruction, not by anything that we have done or not by anything we deserve, but by everything our Savior has done for us in our place. And because we are in Him, because we are united to Him, our destiny at the end of that narrow road is you our Father, and fellowship with Him, our Savior, forever. And Lord, grow in us a desire to share that with others. I know this message is uncomfortable, but Lord, let our discomfort pale and shrink in comparison to the awesomeness of our wonderful new life in our Savior. Make us bold, 
because we know your word. Make us bold because we know our Savior. And use us, Lord, to seek and save the lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.